Good morning. We're going to read God's Word from Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12, and it's printed in the booklets if you've got those. So beginning at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Good morning again. Um, I want to say as we're sort of finishing up, thank you very much for making Erica and me so welcome. It's been really lovely to be among you this weekend. So thank you for that. It's, um, it's a real privilege just to kind of drop in for a short time into the, the life of another church family uh, and just experience that. So, so thank you for that. Well, we come to the last three of the Beatitudes But they really only cover two topics, because as we just heard, the last two Beatitudes are on the same theme. First there's peacemaking, then there's persecution. I don't know why I gave the title for this talk, Living Well, Persecution. It is peace and persecution, or peacemaking and persecution. Peacemaking and persecution. Um, That really sounds like two opposite ends of the spectrum, doesn't it? Here's one way that we can see that they link up. Peacemaking is, of course, about the kind of people that we are in the world and should be in the world and the impact or one of the impacts we are to have on the world. Persecution is about the impact that the world can have back on us. How the world can treat people who are and are trying to be the Beatitudes in the world what it dishes out to Christians. We'll come to persecution. First, peacemaking. That verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You will not be surprised by the picture I'm going to paint here and the way I'm going to paint it. I'm going to say, God is our great example of a peacemaker. And actually, I'm going to talk about God the Father and God the Son as peacemakers and different angles that gives us. Uh, And I'm going to say that therefore, as we are peacemakers, we are going to be like God the Father and God the Son. Uh, And I want you to see that this is you, to find reassurance in knowing that this is you, so that you will be strengthened to stay like this and not move away from it and to grow more like this. So let's walk through those steps. Firstly, God the Father is a peacemaker. That is how the scriptures speak of him. The Father has made peace between himself and his people. We who were his enemies in our sin, he has made peace between us. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in in Colossians chapter 1 there, where he writes, Through Jesus... 
God has reconciled all things to himself by making, here's the word, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Jesus, God took on himself his wrath against sin and in a glorious sacrifice, he established peace, declared the end of hostilities, the end of condemnation between him and us. Now, now that shows one clear angle on how we are peacemakers. It's evangelism. In how the church gives its prayers and its time and its money and its efforts to bringing people to hear the message of Jesus. Because it is only in the gospel of Jesus that people hear of real peace. We, we know that, don't we? It is only in the gospel of Jesus that people can hear how their hostility to God and God's wrath on them can come to an end. So gospel bringers are peacemakers, copying their father in heaven. And, and every Christian church that is a Christian church is concerned in some way or another to see people around them saved by Jesus with God's condemnation on them now coming to an end. Of course, a, a particular local church, it, it can lose sight of that. It can go slack on that. But before long, it will see that it's gone slack on that and will say, no, 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 we are peacemakers. This is who we should be. So, so I guess for each of us, when, when our church leaders invite us to um, pray about who we may bring to ser- Christmas services at church, and that's going to come really fast, isn't it? Before long... When we hear that, as we do every year, I mean, honestly, do, do Christians sit there thinking to themselves, now nah, can't be bothered, doesn't matter? Of course, that, that is not what Christians think. You, you may think, I am the worst person in this church in evangelism. I hope nobody works that out. You may think, I tried for the last 20 years to invite a friend to church. No one has come with me for the last 20 Christmases. But, but you, are sitting there, you are not sitting there thinking, no, I can't be bothered. You are thinking, Lord, could it please be this year that I have an opportunity to invite someone and this year that they come? That is what a Christian is thinking. For a Christian who is at school, do you honestly not care at all if your friends come to faith in Christ or not? Of course you care. Speaking to them about Christ, it might be scary. You may feel that you're not very good at it. You might be good at it, but you just don't know you are. But peace with God in Jesus, it, it is what you want for them. It is what you would love opportunities to talk about. It just is if you're Christian. So, so Christians are peacemakers in, in being bringers of the gospel. And in that we are simply copying our father who sent his son to make peace. By the way, that that sense of in being peacemakers in this way, we are like our heavenly father. That helps us understand something of the second half of this beatitude, verse 9. It says, doesn't it, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
literally in the, in the original Greek that Matthew first wrote this in, it is for they will be called sons of God. And that phrase, sons of, in the Bible, it can have the sense of um, being like something. If you're the son of something, you are like that thing. You bear the family likeness. My son, um, uh, unfortunately for him, just bears something of the likeness of me. That, you know, Dad, why am I not six foot one? Have you seen me and your mother? I mean, come on. Bear the family likeness in some way. So to be a son of God has the sense, whether you are man or woman, it has the sense of being like God, bearing the family likeness. And as we've seen, Christians who want people to come into the peace of God's salvation, they are like their heavenly father, because that is the very reason he sent his son. So God the Father is a peacemaker. And so too is Jesus God the Son. The one through whom the Father made peace with us. The Old Testament calls him, doesn't it? Prophesying him, it calls him the Prince of Peace. And in God the Son as peacemaker, we see a different angle on what it is for us, the church, to be peacemakers. The Apostle Paul again, this time in the letter to the Ephesians. He says, Christ himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. And then he adds, making the two groups one. Christ is our peace, making the two groups one. The the two groups he's talking about there are Jews who've become Christians and Gentiles who've become Christians. Jews and Gentiles, so often in Jesus' day and through history, divided at war with one another. But when both become Christians, Christ makes peace between them. They are now brothers and sisters. Paul adds Christ, it's a powerful image, he tore down the wall of hostility that had divided them. Now they are one body, one people, One in peace. And this shows us a second angle on on how we are peacemakers. If we peacemake like the Father in getting the message of Jesus out there in the world, we peacemake like the Son by keeping, preserving peace in the church, in the family of God, among believers. Paul talks about this again just a little bit later in Ephesians where he tells the church, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I've seen people in church meetings when a decision is taken that goes against what they really want. It's not a gospel issue. It's not an issue of faithful to the Scriptures or unfaithful to the Scriptures. But they think the decision that's taken is pretty unwise. They don't like it. It was important to them, but they lost the vote. They're not happy, but they don't scowl. They don't scowl. As they go home, they are trying very hard not to grumble. They, they chat happily 
to the people who are on the side who won the vote. They, they won't allow this disagreement to break their unity in Christ. In other words, they are Christians, like the Son, in his peacemaking in the church. Before we move on from peacemaking, we're going to. I, there's something I think it, it's perhaps important to clarify here. That peacemaking, being a peacemaker as Jesus makes us to be, is not peace at all costs. Peacemaking does not mean turning a blind eye to evil just to keep the peace. It doesn't mean appeasing a bully just because that won't stir things up. A Christian who knows someone is just being constantly bullied at church, this does not say keep stum. Maybe it is the Christian who should speak up, not just keeping quiet to keep things peaceful. A Christian being abused even by someone who goes to church, that is not something they should keep to themselves just because telling someone else is going to kick things off in the church. No. Making peace will often mean calling out evil as evil when no one else dares to. People may then, if we do that, they may accuse us of causing trouble and disturbing the peace. But when there is abuse, there can be no real peace. And as Christians, we long for the real peace that only comes after evil is named as evil and dealt with as such. It's important to understand what peacemaking does and does not mean. And I wonder if, there's, if that's another link, a point of contact between peacemakers and persecution. When we live as Christians in the world, being, being all of these beatitudes in the flesh, perhaps particularly verse 9, people will sometimes like us. They, they, they do, don't they? People often come in among Christian believers and say, look how these Christians love one another. I'd like a piece of that. They like the kindness we show them when others ignore them. They like that we care and sympathize when others may gossip and attack. We know that is not always how it will be. Sometimes what will happen is persecution. And you know as well as I do, in our country, we are significantly protected from what Christians in many other parts of the world experience. But there are always little persecutions here and there for us too. Uh, that can seem very major in your world. So verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So, so that's clear. If you, know, if, if you get the sack because you're terrible at your job and are utterly hopeless at relating to people, this verse does not apply to you in that moment. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness because they seek to be like God, because they seek to be the Christians that they are. Blessed are you, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
And then in verse 11, Jesus says it again. And he adds more. Why would you get the same thing twice in the last two Beatitudes? Say it once briefly, say it again, say more. That must mean Jesus wants to underline for us, this is going to happen. If it's not happening to you, it probably will. And if you are going through it, I I know twice over that it's happening to you. Maybe Jesus knows we will struggle to hear the comfort in this the first time we hear it. So he says it again, in case we missed the comfort the first time or didn't quite believe it. So verse 11, again. Blessed are you. Just pause there, just notice. That switched to you. All the other Beatitudes are they. Blessed are they, blessed are they. Jesus talking about Christians. Now, when it gets really painful, where for you this may get really close to home, when it gets to what we may suffer for who we are as Christians, Jesus is very tender with us. He now turns to look us in the eye. He doesn't talk about us, but talks straight to us as he spells it out. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Who is that more true of than anyone else you know? Well, of of course, it's Jesus himself. Here he is most particularly walking what he's talking. It it went right on through his life, didn't it? I mean, what do they say about him? What do they do to him? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, have you been to that place? He's possessed by the devil. Crucify him. He saved others, so let him get down off the cross and save himself if he's really the chosen one. He he lived this right through his life to the moment of his death. And how could we who follow Christ expect to sidestep following him even in this? Jesus is one whole complete person. You can't kind of look at Jesus and go, I'm going I'm to follow this, this, and this about him, but if it's okay, Lord, I'd rather not follow that, that, and that about him. It's just, if you follow Christ, you follow Christ. Jesus once said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Following him means following him in the tough bits, not the easy bits. You, you can't kind of pick and choose and rip, and rip him apart. I think of a Christian lady I once knew who told me that her husband wasn't a Christian. He would sometimes stand in the front door on a Sunday morning just trying to kind of block her physically from getting to church. How, how easily she might think, I, I've just got to be doing something wrong for God to kind of single me out for this treatment compared to all the other Christians who have it much easier than me. What does Jesus say to her here? Isn't it this? He says, no, no. this is not happening because you're doing something wrong. It's just that you're following me. They hated me before they hated you. They persecute you 
because they persecuted me and you belong to me. Now, in what possible way can someone who suffers for Christ, suffers like Christ, in what possible way can they be blessed, commended, good on you? How can Christians be in the midst of persecution and still think to themselves, this is the truth, Jesus says you're to be commended? And, I mean, even stronger, as we've heard already, we're going to see it again in a moment, verse 12 actually says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. How, how is that possible in the heat of persecution? Well, I want to show you how verse 12 shows us. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, says Jesus, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So just, I want us to see this really clearly. Verse 11, then verse 12. Verse 11, we've just seen that Jesus lived out verse 11 He lived 11 before his death. And now we can see that Jesus also lived out verse 12 after his death. Verse 12, great is your reward in heaven. Well, the father rewarded his son in heaven, seating him at his right hand, reigning now forever and ever. Why? Because of his obedient suffering. Because he didn't shirk doing it, verse 11. That that is what the resurrection is. That is why the Father raised Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead, seated him him at his right hand in heaven, because Christ obeyed him, even through all his suffering as far as the cross. Paul explains that exactly in a really well-loved part of um, one of his letters, Philippians and chapter 2. Paul says there, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Why has God exalted him to the highest place? Because he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. The Father has given him his very great reward in heaven. So the Son now lives, experiences his wonderful great reward in heaven, in the Father's presence, at his right hand, and nothing can drag him from that position. And we are blessed. Even when our family may mock us for being an idiot Christian, Because Christ has shared his very great reward with us. You will share by his kindness what Christ's father has rewarded him with. Eternal life in his presence. And no persecution can touch that. Because the persecutors can't get up to heaven to do anything to Jesus. In fact, all the persecution can ultimately do 
is give you still more assurance that you are following Christ because you are following him in all of his footsteps all the way into his Father's presence. So, if ever there is a horrible moment in the school canteen when suddenly a whole table you're sitting on turns against you and laughs at you because you go to church. Or in an RE lesson, if the whole class turns on you and shouts you down for having an opinion that they hate. This is your reason for doing what Jesus says here, rejoice and be glad. This is the reason. The mockery and the laughter It cannot destroy the home with him that God has prepared for you. It just can't touch it. In fact, the mockery and the laughter just shows that you are following Christ. You really are following him in all of his footsteps, all the way into his Father's presence. And the mockery and the laughter and the insults they also show that you're in good company. That's the second reason for rejoicing. You're in good company. That's what Jesus means by the very last bit of verse 12 when he says, Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. Often one of the things that's most horrible, when the insulting and persecution comes in our world, one of the things that's most horrible is that you're, you know, often you're on your own. The lunch table turns against you and there's no other Christian there, it's just you. It's, it's horribly lonely. But Jesus says at that moment, you are in good company. You're standing there, they are pointing and laughing. And says Jesus, everything is just as it has always been for God's people. This does not take me by surprise. Everything is just as it has always been for God's people. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Even God's own son, the great prophet, he went through it. So he knows how to protect and strengthen and lead us, even to rejoice in our certain hope, when we go through it. Well, we've come to the end of the Beatitudes. Um, I, I, I trust that, I mean, the word is blessed. So I trust and pray that they have been a blessing to you as you've seen a portrait. Christ paints in a portrait here for us to see it and say, yeah, that is me. That is us as a Christian church. To see that what we most want is to be strengthened, to stay like this, to grow like this, to repent hard and fast of all the ways in which shoots are growing which are not like this. To fight against everything in us that is not yet in line with this. And to become who we are in Christ. Uh, let's end like this. Let's, let's read these out together. So if, you, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, if there are slightly different translations, we won't worry about that. We'll plough on. 
And if you don't have the words in front of you, you, you can just enjoy listening. Or flick really fast and intelligently through the, uh, the little booklet. Starting at verse 3. Uh, and maybe as you're reading this, maybe, maybe you'll just kind of know which of these just... It's like it jumps out at you. It's like it's, it's the one that's printed in bold in front of you. That you want to thank the Lord for most, seek his help most in. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen.